Anthony Bourdain spent years in the underbelly of the New York restaurant circuit before achieving overnight fame with his incendiary memoir, Kitchen Confidential, published in the year 2000. That was the catalyst for his very successful transition into becoming America's favorite celebrity chef, slash documentarian, slash political activist, slash raconteur, slash... Okay, I'm out of slashes, but you get the idea. In 2018, Bourdain unceremoniously killed himself in a French hotel room. He was at the height of his career and madly in love with an Italian actress. So why would he want to die? Was it severe depression that caught up with him? Or something more sinister? That's today on Death in Entertainment. Live from Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury, and death. Oh my God! Shocking new details that has stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. <gasps> what do you call this thing anyway? Death in entertainment. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. How's Incoming calls. Incoming calls. Something just popped when we right when we started recording here. Pick it up. Kyle, <laughs> for some reason, times his calendars to update as we're starting the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, like, that was actually an alarm to start the podcast. Yes. A oh, reminder. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> good thing I had that, or else we wouldn't have been doing this right now. Oh my God. <laughs> Saved by the Apple fucking OS. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, everybody? My name is Kyle Plouffe. My name is Mark Bulkerin. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. And we are jumping straight into episode 34. We're dealing with Anthony Bourdain today. This was teased in the last episode. It was. In what way? Wait, maybe I blacked out the last one. Because... <laughs> Rob Cohen directed the first Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah. And we brought up. Oh, Asia Argento. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then that her piece relationship of work. to Anthony Bourdain. This is and a- I said, I will say no more because that's an upcoming episode. This is a brilliant segue right into that because he allegedly drugged Asia Argento. Ooh. Rob Cohen? Rob Cohen, yeah. 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 And uh, he was very fast and furious with that <laughs> drug, whatever he was using. Callback. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to, my episode, I just want to get, keep, yeah, exactly. Keep reminding people, <laughs> download it, like it, subscribe to yes, it. Yes. If you are listening on iTunes, please subscribe to the podcast, follow us, give us a review, five stars. Even if it's a quick review, like saying, you guys are fucking awesome, yeah. five stars. Nice Just little note, something. Say some words, please. Yeah, these guys think they're better than me. Yeah, they are, but still also. <laughs> <laughs> Spotify now has uh, a five-star program, so if you listened to at least one or two of our episodes, you are allowed to review us, please, five yeah. stars, because we have- got... One asshole out there that's trying to... We got to hate... Yeah, we got some fucking (laughs) diabolical assholes out there. (laughs) Let's not dwell on that asshole. No. Yeah. He's Um, in the minority. Yeah. I think this is the guy that's going to stalk and kill us one day. Yeah. (laughs) It's probably William Shatner. Yeah, and that'll be the final episode. (laughs) It's probably Rob Cohen. Mm -hmm. Well, the shit list is growing longer and longer every episode as we keep going along here. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so to counteract the shit list, please leave us a nice review, everybody. And uh, yeah. And the shit list will be growing today Ooh. as we go, go on. to June 8th, 20. 
2018. Okay, um, pop culture flash, uh, June eighth, twenty eighteen. Kyle, do you have anything in the in the waves of famous birthdays around this time? Uh, I believe I do. <laughs> <laughs> what a you. random question! <laughs> I know. I just figured I'd give him a shot, and he uh, he picked up on it. Uh, famous June eighth birthdays. We have Miss Joan Rivers. Oh my God! Who we are talk- you wearing? Can we talk about my birthday. <laughs> You're a cunt. <laughs> my, my, my face is plastic. <laughs> and she's that talking. was like Woody Allen. I, I am doing jo- Woody Allen, Joan Rivers. <laughs> was that your impression of her talking to Melissa Rivers? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh, Evil Ed McMahon will come in. Hi, Joan. <laughs> How you doing this week? <laughs> Hi, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drunk. We got. Uh, Juliana Margiles, Margulies, Margulies. Yeah, not familiar with the ER, name, but probably ER. the face from Sopranos. Also, never seen it. The Good oh, Wife. God. Never seen it. We're the, gonna. I'm gonna kill White. Kill kill White. I'm gonna kill Kyle. One of these. Weeks. I'm gonna kill Whitey. I'm gonna kill Whitey. Look, the, the Good Wife. I understand, but the Sopranos, Kyle. Yeah, you know, sometimes I just I don't like Italian people. Oh my God. Well, who's the last one? <laughs> Uh, of these boots are made for walking fame, oh. Miss Nancy Sinatra. Speaking of Italian, speaking of Sopranos, she was actually in the second to last season of Sopranos. She was? Yeah. Is yeah, she, she still was. alive? Yes. Yeah. Well, the really? Sopranos ended. I don't know if you. I thought she you was were long so dead. Out of touch. Like, it was 2007 <laughs> Sopranos ended. Yeah, so. but still, I thought she was dead in like the 90s for some reason. No, no, no. no. Still, mm-hmm. still around. Shows how much I know. Trivia. Yeah. Still kicking with those boots. Did Hello. you know? <laughs> That she's Frank Sinatra's daughter. Get out what of the town. Fuck? Hold on. Wait. <laughs> that I did know. Hold okay. the phone. <laughs> and she was a fan of Anthony Bourdain. Really? She tweeted after his death that he was a voice for the people. Oh, wow. Not a fan of Donald Trump. She hated his guts. And she was very vocal about it on Twitter. Mm. She still had, like manned her own Twitter account. That's oh, nice. great. Yeah. yeah. You gotta let the people know. Uh, NBA Finals at this time. The Golden State Warriors claim their third title in four years with a 108 to 85 win over the Cleveland Cavaliers for a 4-0 sweep. I love that because fuck LeBron James. Oh, he he was on that team. Yeah, MVP was Kevin Durant for the second straight year. I don't love that because Kevin Durant's a little baby bitch. <laughs> yeah, he's a little biatch. Yeah, go Celtics. We swept them. Yeah, this year. We are in the year 2018, though. Yes, don't worry yeah. about it. You beat the Bucks, so shut your yapper. Yeah, that we had a nice uh, little Game 7 powwow here. The Celtics yeah. just beat the Milwaukee Bucks um, from, you know, we got me and Mark here from Massachusetts mm-hmm. and Alejandro's from Wisconsin, so it's yeah. a nice little uh, rivalry. Correction, so, yeah. you mean Milwaukee sucks. Hello. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Red Flops. Letting us down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you've, you've been used to that, so I'm sure it's nothing brand new. Yeah. Like I told you guys earlier, they were a non-entity when I was growing up. Yeah, I yeah. remember Brad Lojas in the 90s. That was like their superstar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brad. Who the hell yeah. gives a shit? <laughs> Very sad stuff in Milwaukee. Um, So the biggest movies around this time, um, I'm going to start from the back and I'm going to move my way forward. Oh, okay. Oh, like a, uh, a woman wiping back to front. Excuse me. Hello. <laughs> The I, wrong way. I wipe side to side, actually. <laughs> um, number three is Deadpool 2. 
Mm, nice. Ryan Reynolds. I, I never really got it with the Deadpools. I didn't either. They're fun. My sister called me one time. It's like the first time she saw the Beatles. She's like, this is the best thing you've ever seen. Oh, a lot of people Deadpool. said that. Deadpool. I'm like, all yeah. right. Well, it's the first uh, rated R superhero movie in the MCU uh, outside of Blade. Blade is not like canon. The so, Wesley Snipes. God, here we go. Wesley Snipes okay. played, yeah. Oh, yeah. this is now an MCU podcast. Yes. Jesus Christ. Give me a break. All right, number two <laughs> is uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Boo. Terrible. That was such a disaster. It had directors in line. They were fired. And then Ron Howard of fucking <laughs> happy Apollo days. 13 yeah. happy days Ed TV fame Ed TV uh, that's my favorite stepped in and said oh I'll direct it you know like Leno yeah <laughs> alright <laughs> All right, NBC I'll work for you again yeah. and they barely recouped some money with that one oh god the scene that just I was just like I'm done with this movie when he's like running away from the cops and he's trying to get on this plane and they're like uh, what's your name and he's like Han and they're like well who are your people and he goes I have no people I'm solo and so that's how they came up with the name Han Solo I was like are you fucking kidding me I, Boo. Th- I thought it was the story about that guy, uh, Free Solo, who, who was on the mountain. <laughs> it was about Hope Solo. Hope Solo. Who was a, a soccer player. <laughs> was conceived in prison. Okay. That's a much better movie, than Free Solo. Much better, yeah. Um, I, was, I think we were all secretly hoping he fell off the mountain, though. It was riveting. <laughs> I knew he didn't, so yeah. it kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> Speaking of reboots, the number one movie at this time was Ocean's 8. Hello, girls. Man, I feel like a woman. Y'all ready to ocean? (laughs) Y'all ready for this ocean? Yeah. Um, I didn't watch it, but I like the Ocean's movies, and maybe one day I'll give it a shot. I've never seen one of them. You know what? I actually saw the, speaking of Sinatra, the original. The original, yeah. And it's very boring. It's Ocean's 12, right? No, it's Ocean's 11. Oh, yeah. And people have reverence for it, but it's actually not a very good movie, and it's pretty boring. It's like them having reverence for the Rat Pack. Like, if you ever saw their stage show in Vegas, you'd be like, this is terrible. It's the Rat Pack. They're coming out with, like, no pants on. They think it's hilarious. (laughs) And using Sammy as a prop. Yeah, and they're just, yeah, being racist to him, and, like, they get funny, and like, hey, you're black. It's like, okay, this is comedy. That's right, babe. (laughs) 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 You got it. You hit the nail on the head. Um, that's my Sammy Davis. I do <laughs> that impersonations. Sammy that was my slash Bobcat. <laughs> Bobcat. <Yeah. laughs> Mine was Bobcat Sammy Davis Davis. slash uh, what's his face, Dennis Miller. Oh, hey, 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 oh yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe he stole that from Sammy Davis. Hey, Feels like I'm living in a Cronenberg. <laughs> I feel like it's a Baryshnikov directed by George Lucas here, babe. <laughs> Ron Howard directing the Nutcracker Suite, babe. <laughs> yeah, he just, I think he had a formula, Dennis Miller, added an obscure thing and then another obscure thing and then, babe. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was actually a good stand up, but, you know, he's a right wing crackpot now. So go Trump, babe. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's like, hey, I like the guy. Okay, babe. Um, number 19, actually. Oh, let's just jump right to number 19. Let's go way down the list here. A movie called Won't You Be My Neighbor was directed by Morgan Neville. Neville. The um, Mr. Rogers documentary. Who also directed a film about Anthony Bourdain. Oh. Roadrunner. Won't You Be My Neighbor? I went to go see that documentary in... 
uh, on Pico and the director was actually there and answered a bunch of questions. I didn't realize he also did the Anthony Bourdain one. If you think about it, it's kind of interesting that the day Anthony Bourdain died is the same day Won't You Be My Neighbor came out in theaters. And I think that was the day I saw it in theaters. That's actually pretty creepy. Dun, on P- on dun, Pico. Dun, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Cue the music. <laughs> Bourdain. You know? (laughs) (laughs) You said it, pal. He was born on June 25th, 1956 in Manhattan, but raised in New Jersey. Joyzy boy. Joyzy. How do you say this? Leonia? Yeah. Is that a more upper crest neighborhood? I don't know. I, I know anything typically... In North Jersey is is the nicer areas like Orange and stuff around there, but I'm sure there's some select areas that are not so nice. <laughs> right. Some people would say Newark is not a, a nice city, and you know there's a couple in there that you know aren't perfect. Yeah. But they're like nicer areas. It's like South Jersey's like no man's land. Yeah. No, it's it's not bad there. It's yeah, right next to the Palisades Park in um, New Jersey, and right next to Fort Lee. It's right on the um, Hudson River, so you could see the whole city from there. Yeah. He's Right across the river from Yankee Stadium. Yeah. He grew up in a well-to-do household where books ruled. And it was a household that was intellectual and not religious. Yeah. And there was no drama. His parents both had very good jobs. His father, Pierre, was an executive at Columbia Records. This is all like the exact opposite of my family. (laughs) I know. Mine, too. No one read a book in my family. Smart, not religious. Yeah. No drama? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? That's the part that I definitely get. My family was to. getting hammered and beating me with the crosses all day yeah, and night. Exactly. They were burning books. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy became a heroin addict. I know. What the fuck? That tells you something. It's you know, you never know. It reminded me a lot of not to shoehorn this in, but Lil Peep. Yeah. Because he grew up in an intellectual household. That is true. And he felt like he had to pay his dues and slum it. Yeah. Even though he had all the privilege in the world. It's something about, I think, America in general, people that do have extreme wealth and and privilege, you do feel bad about it. And I think it's in all pop culture, and especially around this time in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. you got Bruce Springsteen saying, you know, you know, he grew up poor and, you know, rich people are keeping him down and stuff like this. And maybe he kind of is just a huge Bruce fan that he absorbed that message that much. Yeah. That he felt like he had to slum it like other people did. Perhaps. The he boss. Was, the he was boss. coming of age, though, well before Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, like the 60s and stuff? Yeah. Okay. I take your point, though. But like the, Jack Kerouac, you know, the exactly. beatnik people before that and stuff? That's his That's his, his generation? Yeah, Hunter yeah. S. Thompson. Yeah. Jack Kerouac. The 60s are ending. You suffer for your art or suffer for your personality and you kind of like... You know, you have to like have that that time, and you experience. And that things. Bob Dylan song, you know, like on a uh, like a Rolling Stone, you know, mm-hmm. you just gotta like live like a bum for a while. Yeah, he doesn't want to live in a well-to-do household where his parents love him. Yeah, <laughs> in fact, he said that that was a catalyst for his acting out. 
this is why I think. Well, I this I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag here. My mom told me she's got a lot of hot takes on everything. <laughs> she told me she watched the documentary recently, Roadrunner, and it made her not like him anymore. Wow, she was a big fan. She, everyone, you know, loved the show where he went all over the world and stuff. But then when she saw this part of him, he's just so mixed up mentally. Yes. it made her kind of mad. I can see that. Yeah, yeah, like you threw it away. Yeah, and she has no patience for bullshit, really. So <laughs> I, I can understand there's some nuance to his personality. He's kind of fucked up, and he just doesn't yeah. know what's what. But I think it came out in just severe anger with my mom. Yeah. Specifically, he said that their biggest crime was that they loved him. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you know, sentence alone is insane. That's an insane He's per- acknowledging that it's insane, too, Yeah, though. okay, that's it's true. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek. He pondered this. Why was he acting out so much when he had the world at his fingertips? Yeah. Yeah. The same goes for, you know, later in life, too. Yeah. So his mother was a staff editor at the New York Times. (laughs) Wow. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, this is a household where they had interesting conversations at dinner. Well, this would also be like you see it online all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter and you see people like... And on TikTok, too, there's a guy's account is dedicated to outing people from privileged families and like how they got ahead, really, because mm-hmm. they made it, make it seem like they start from scratch. It was all on their own, whereas, you know, they had these family connections and stuff and money that really helped them along the way. Yeah. Find out that Timothy Oliphant's a fucking Vanderbilt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the biggest shock of the yeah. Walker episode. I just heard the Beastie Boys, too. They came from severe... Really? Not severe, that's a weird way to say it, but like big... Well, severe wealth. Severe wealth and privilege, yeah. <laughs> wealth that'll cut you. <laughs> yeah, it'll kill you. <laughs> Anthony Bourdain made an impressionable trip to France when he was in fourth grade with his family. Mm, yes. And he recalled. Is that what what accent is that? <laughs> Rich, Lord <laughs> Michaels. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. He recalled trying the cold French soup, Vichyssoise, for the first time, and he's like, "I've never had soup before this. This is the first time I'm enjoying a soup that's not Campbell's." I knew you were gonna say Campbell's because I love Campbell's, and soup. it blew his mind. Yeah. <laughs> And he became interested in shock value food, like the stinkiest cheeses that smell like feet, tripes, brains, etc. Well, yeah, because that's why like later on he he enjoys going to distant lands and eating like lizards Mm -hmm. heads and shit. Yep. (laughs) France at that time, it was uh, wonderland for underage drinkers. Oh, yeah. So he's having the time of his life this summer discovering food drinking and he recalls having his first oyster he said that it was as memorable to him as losing his virginity <laughs> my first oyster was better than my first clam <laughs> he was a catskill comedian also <laughs> and we have an excerpt of him talking about this experience All That's right. the family made friends with this old grizzled frenchman who had a boat. And so out on his boat. What? They, oh, hey, old grizzled Frenchman with a boat. Yes. <laughs> How w- can I help you? They went to get Also oysters. get on the boat. <laughs> and so the, the old Frenchman presents an oyster, you know, to Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> hey, young boy. Would you like an oyster? 
<laughs> to go with your stinky yeah. cheese. Yeah, it's your a wine. Your smelly fromage. <laughs> and I'm going to inject you with heroin. <laughs> oh, it's too early for that. <laughs> with a snubby, rust-covered oyster knife, he popped the thing open and handed it to me. Everyone watching now, my little brother shrinking away from this glistening, vaguely sexual-looking object still dripping and nearly alive. Jeez, it's so He's in fourth I grade, in my hand, Yeah. Put the shell back into my mouth as instructed by the now-beaming Monsieur Saint-Jour, and with one bite and a slurp, wolfed it down. It tasted of seawater, of brine and flesh, and he somehow brine? of the future. Everything was different now. Everything. I'd not only survived, I'd enjoyed. This, I knew, was the magic I had until now been only dimly and spitefully aware of. I was hooked. That one moment, still more alive for me than so many of the other firsts which followed. First pussy, first joint, first day in high school, first published book, or any other thing, I attained glory. And everything that followed in my life, the food, the long and often stupid and self-destructive chase for the next thing, would all stem from this moment. I love Food <laughs> had power. <laughs> he says, I survived. Bro, you're nine years old. I know. <laughs> That's what I say. How did he know what fucking... I still don't know what Brian is, really. <laughs> yeah. How did he know Brian at nine years old? <laughs> he, he make, well, he makes up this reality that, you know... Yeah. Was he really feeling all these things? Or this is his own recollection that, you know, he's cutting with every, every experience he's had since then. To give him the benefit of the doubt, perhaps he's re-piecing his experience, understanding it more Through as the an land. adult. Yeah. He's putting it into context. Yes. Stuff. Yeah. He, it seems like, remember that movie, Call Me By Your Name? It seems like yeah. that movie, but he's mm. just fucking the food only. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's yeah. no relationship there. He's just like fucking clams and shit. American Brian. <laughs> American <laughs> Brian? <laughs> we'll just tell your mother we ate it all. <laughs> <laughs> he's like grinding with the So it's American Pie now. Yeah, yeah. He gave himself a circumcision with a clamshell. <laughs> Would you like to fuck a pie tonight, sir? <laughs> Nine-year-old son. They find a bunch of shells in his bedroom. <laughs> in his foreskin. <laughs> Have you been fucking shellfish again? <laughs> we, it's like the drug uh, commercial or something. Anti-drugs. I learned it by watching you, Dad. I learned it by watching you fuck fucking shellfish. <laughs> I learned it by you sticking clams up your ass. <laughs> I, I saw you fuck that lobster, Dad. <laughs> what about Honest, his story is so vague. He might have had sex with the oysters. You don't know. <laughs> At least someone's fucking the oysters. I feel Hello. like we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red tree was. And so in 1973, <laughs> he graduated from high school early. The world was his ashtray, as he put it. He was a spoiled, narcissistic young guy. And he ended up dropping out of Vassar College. I thought that was an all-girls school. Vassar? Yeah. I think it was maybe, and then eventually they they turned. Uh, wow. They they, had, they invited one boy to go. Yeah. You either have to be a girl or like oysters. A lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Vassar College up in Poughkeepsie, New York. Okay, private liberal arts college. Um, was the second degree granting institution of higher education for women. So it wasn't all women, but it was mostly. Some guys are led into these women's but colleges. But that's, that's the best situation. Yeah. Meryl Anthony Streep. Bourdain, yeah, yeah, but he quit, though. <laughs> I know. What the what? fuck? Meryl Streep 
Not Anne, enough shellfish. Anne Hathaway <laughs> and Jackie Kennedy, Onassis, all went there. Jackie Kennedy. Notable alumnus. Hmm. So they're still waiting for the big one. Yeah. In 1975, he headed over to Provincetown, Massachusetts. Ooh, P-Town. P-Town. P-Town, stay down. <laughs> and he said at that time... It was clogged with tourists, day trippers, hippies, dopers, drifters, slutty chicks, <laughs> lobster poachers, and cruising gay men. I was going to say. dweebs, spazzes, they all adore him. <laughs> Did he say skanks in there somewhere? Uh, slutty chicks. Slutty chicks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> These are his words? And that executive skank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> food hit on Maryland. And right. Pl- plenty of seafood to fuck. Yeah. (laughs) He joined the party. Uh, It was a big party there, but eventually he needed money, so he became a dishwasher, otherwise known as a sud buster or a pearl diver. What kind of slang does he make up for himself? A pearl diver? (laughs) What the fuck? He's a descriptive guy. Yeah, I know. That's that's true. That's kind of his business, his trade, if you will. He also started doing heroin. Nice. (laughs) 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 and becoming a dishwasher that was his entrance into the life yeah that's where his climb to chefdom began there was no looking back and everything is romanticized in his view that's true he wasn't a cook they're not cooks they're pirates Oh, God. My God. Arg. <laughs> They're Johnny Depp's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope not. <laughs> They're shitting in beds. Yeah. Well, that's Amber Heard. Oh, yeah. Their, their maidens are shitting in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> My maiden shit me bed again. <laughs> when I was fucking a lobster. <laughs> In 1978, Bourdain graduated from the Culinary Institute of America. So he started off as a dishwasher and he like really, like I said, no looking back, he just went all the way. His parents were probably so happy. He finally got into something Mm -hmm. and got away from them. He also had a younger brother by a couple years. Yeah, the brother's a genius, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was more on the straight and narrow. Yeah, the, that family was probably so much happier when Anthony was gone. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're like, you know, they cl- they shut the door and, you know, they the dad puts his back to the door and they're like, <sighs> and the party starts. We got another letter from Anthony. You want to hear it? Oh, God, he's not coming back, is he? <laughs> you want to hear what he's up to lately? <laughs> Why are there oyster prints all over this letter? <laughs> There's a lot of slutty oysters in P-Town. There's a used condom in here. In 1980, he became a chef in Manhattan. And that's the kind of lifestyle where you never see the light of day. No. And he went from doing heroin to coke to crack. As you do. And he got so (laughs) into it. He was such a drug addict that he would search for drugs on the carpet. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. What, once he, he was all out? Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I must have left a little morsel somewhere. Snorting dust from yeah, the carpet. Yeah, potpourri. By the end of the decade, though, he had endured six years of rehab and supposedly got off of heroin by the time the 90s rolled around. Shit. And he quit cold turkey because he said, I realize I have something to live for. Yeah. Oysters up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there was a Bradley Cooper movie Produced by Chef Gordon Ramsay, that was about Anthony Bourdain's life, actually. Well, there's a TV show. Um, which one was that called? 
Oh, are you thinking of the No Reservations, the movie? No, no, no. Bradley Cooper acted in it, and uh, him and Chef Gordon Ramsay were like buddies. Because there was a Fox show in 2005 called Kitchen Confidential, okay. literally based on the book Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Oh, okay. And Bradley Cooper played a chef named Jack Bourdain. Hello. Um, no, well, this, this was a different one. I guess they, they, one? they did two different. This okay. was a movie. Bradley Cooper's like, let me try this again. Didn't yeah. work the first time. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm serious. Yeah, this was like. I think you're thinking of No Bur- Reservations. No, it, it's oh, called Burnt, Burnt in 2015. That, yeah. No Reservations is a romantic comedy with Catherine Zeta-Jones, I'm thinking of. Yes. Burnt, you're right. Burnt, where he plays kind of like an up and down roller coaster ride chef who like is on, you know, he's back on the mend where we start with him. And then. We see him have a relapse, and then you know, it's kind of like the the relationship that uh, Anthony Bourdain had with Chef Gordon Ramsay, where they're competing all the time and like their chef stuff, <laughs> whatever yeah. they do. And then, uh, yeah, it's it's a decent movie. I I love okay. Gordon Ramsay, and you know, I like he's great Anthony Bourdain. So. Love Kitchen Nightmares. No, the <laughs> best one uh, is um, Hotel uh, Hell. Hotel Hell is another one, but yeah, Kitchen Nightmares is the best one. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Kitchen Nightmares. Amy's Baking Company. Amy's Baking Company, where it, you have to watch this to experience it. To You will not be able to take your eyes off the screen while watching this crazy person who has a restaurant in Phoenix, Arizona. He goes there. It's some crazy cat lady with some weird husband that claimed he was a former gangster that doesn't really speak English. She kind of looks like Elizabeth Holmes. Yes. Oh, yeah, shit. she has those eyes. We're going to have to watch, like, live stream this while we watch it. It yes. went viral at the time. It did, yeah. 2013. And everyone, everyone bombarded uh, the Yelp and the Facebook with, uh, with negative messages. People would just prank calling in all the time and people would go in just to have the experience of have this crazy woman yell at them it's like going on a ride of like a bad uh you know food experience and the big thing that came out of that is he quit doing that joke they stole the tips from the waiters yes yeah the owners yeah and gordon ramsay goes to some of the people that were eating like do you know that they steal the tips and some some guy eating goes that's fucking awful and then and then <laughs> I and, saw that oh you did yes okay. I saw that part that's yes. an excerpt of that entire thing yes and at the end of it Gordon's like I've never done this before I have to do this I'm quitting that you guys I, I I'm leaving because <laughs> part of the show is he goes in he sees wasn't like, there an older husband too he was like guy. yelling at yeah. him yeah yeah, he, yeah, yeah he yells at some guy you pay and get the fuck out of here and the guy goes I didn't even get anything yet. I did see that. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. almost like a, a soup Nazi from Seinfeld yes. that hasn't paid his dues. And the food not no, good. Yeah, he yeah, has no yeah, right to yeah, talk yeah, to people yeah, like that because yeah. nobody likes the food anyway. Yeah, <laughs> the, the waiters hate them. And they, they fired like five waiters per week or something. Yeah. Like, yeah well, yeah. that whole restaurant industry that whole... is bonkers. Yeah. But Amy's Baking Company, I think the uh, pandemic finally killed it, but it's uh, it was an experience. But yeah, yes. we'll, we'll probably do a live stream with that. We will live point. stream yeah, it. For sure. So yeah, Bourdain's off of heroin now, and he spent some 25 years going from kitchen to kitchen, often many of them failing businesses. Amy's Baking Company is a failed business. It closed in 2015. Sorry. Oh, even oh, nice. before. Just wanted the people same, to know. Same year Burnt came out, so that that's fitting. They saw the <laughs> pandemic coming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So, yeah, he wasn't in a great spot by the end of the 90s. Are they all financially? His, are they all his businesses or some of them? No. They could have been like other people that like, hey, we heard about you, Anthony. You're a good chef. Come work with us. And then like any restaurant you're in is on the way of going out of business. Yeah, that's exactly it. He was a chef at these places. Yeah, he was a hired gun. But you really have to be 110% when you're bringing it at that level as a New York chef. Mm -hmm. Like, you really cannot miss anything. No. And if you're on drugs or doing anything or even just getting hammered at night, you know, you're bound to fuck up here and there. Yeah. In 1999, he was the executive chef at a middle brow restaurant called Brasserie Le Halle. That sounds like the place like tourists get stuck in when everything else is too busy. <laughs> H-A-L-L-E-S. Leal. Leal. In yeah. Manhattan. And this was an unpretentious tavern. Because Manhattan's not really known for their like French taverns. <laughs> 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 like maybe like a Irish kind of like half bar, half grill or something where you can get like a French dip or something like that. Yeah. But, but like, you know, this doesn't seem like the cuisine that lends itself to like getting day drunk with friends. No, not at all. And in the past few years, it closed to bankruptcy. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm surprised it lasted that long. It was on I am too. Park Ave and 28th Street. So, I mean, it could have been pretentious if it was on Park Ave. That's like Millionaire's Row. Well, now everything in Manhattan fucking pretentious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're pretentious if you show up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're on the West Side Highway, you're pretentious. And all this time, Bourdain had literary aspirations, as you heard with the oyster story. He's got a lot going on in his head, and he's also seeing a lot. He's remembering every feeling, every smell in Manhattan. Is he clean at this time? Supposedly, he continued to drink, yeah. but he was off of drugs, at least illegal drugs. Okay. So he had beaten heroin in like the 70s. So he, No, he, in the, by the end of the 80s. The end of the 80s. Okay. Yeah. So now he's just kind of like, oh my God, what's my end game here? How am I going to get out of this? Because being mm -hmm. a chef, you're not going to be able to make a living wage. You're not going to be able to live. It's a hard life. It's a hard life. And he, he's probably seen other chefs that he used to look up to that are like, you know, I gotta, I must get out of this business. Yeah. <laughs> you know? unless, unless you're like an executive chef at Wolfgang's or like some big, like ritzy yeah. spot. Uh, it, yeah, it's tough. The time most people are getting off of work, even going to bed, that's when it's hopping yeah. in his world. Yeah, and he's ripping cigs. He's like being a stripper. Stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle has no respect for chefs. And, and I respect that accent. I respect that stuff. Because I think chefs are assholes. <laughs> when did they start being dicks? Like, that was it used his... to be Chef Boyardee, but now everyone's like, hey, fuck you. No, I you think know? that was a Ramsey phenomenon you that everybody so? started copying his playbook. Boy, yeah. Dane also, his persona at the beginning was that of an honest asshole. Wow. Yeah, well, I think that because that's how you survived in that cutthroat restaurant world. You of have to Manhattan scream at everyone. The owners are crazy. You know, the, the line cooks are nuts. And you have to kind of elevate yourself to that horrible level, I guess, mm -hmm. or downgrade yourself. And get this. He actually wrote a couple of novels in the 90s that didn't go anywhere. 
One of them was a culinary-themed crime novel called <laughs> Bone in the Throat. Oh, my God. Also known as the Ed Gein story. Yeah. <laughs> Bone in your mother's hand. <laughs> Inspired by the writings of Elmore Leonard, who did Get Shorty and oh, yeah. Chinatown. Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. Did he do Chinatown? Not Chinatown. Oh, okay. But he was inspired. he was inspired by Chinatown, probably. Probably. Okay. Because that's a great crime story. Of course. And he also wrote one called Gone Bamboo. <laughs> what? <laughs> I wonder why these didn't go anywhere. These titles are <laughs> shit. Bone in the throat. <laughs> <laughs> and there was Gone Girl, eventually a book, but Gone Bamboo didn't really hit with, <laughs> yeah. with the crowd. Who stole my bamboo? <laughs> I would pay good money to hear Johnny Depp do Bone in the Throat because... He was just on the witness stand and they were reading texts that he sent back to Amber Heard. And one of his texts was, um, I have other uses for your throat that don't include injury. <laughs> oh, my God. Mama Mia. It bone in the throat. It turned out she had a bone in the throat. <laughs> and because of, because of Bourdain's notoriety, Bone in the Throat became a movie released in 2015 uh, we, with Tom Wilkinson. Wait, all of his movies came out in 2015, Burnt? <laughs> it was a good year. <laughs> it was a very good year. <laughs> there was a bone in the throat. <laughs> <laughs> and the oh. bamboo was gone. Put the bone in our throat. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. But watch out for 2018. <laughs> it's about to get you. <laughs> See, Kyle went into uh, the Jack Tripper show. Yeah, Three's, Three's <laughs> Company. Yeah. Three's Company. Mr. Furley. John Redder. Redder. <laughs> <laughs> John Ritter, your mom's yeah, yeah, oh, Mark's she, mom's fame. Yeah, she wanted to go where John Ritter died, and that was one of her. Instead of going, some some people would say, "Take me to the Hollywood, Hollywood Bowl." Sign yeah, Hollywood sign. Yeah, my mom wanted to go where uh, John Ritter died. Where the dad from Problem Child die again? <laughs> As I always say, whatever blows your hair back. Yeah. <laughs> Bourdain wrote an article about his life in the restaurant industry and sent it to the New Yorker. And that was published. It was a hit. And they wanted him to expand on it and make it a book. Yeah. That project eventually became Kitchen Confidential, Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly, published by Echo Press in 2000. Yeah. In the movie, he had actually just kind of sent it to a friend that was like working at the New Yorker or something or an editor for them or something. Just kind of out of the blue, just said, hey, you know, and I'm sure it took him a lot of courage and balls to say, I know I just know you um, and we're friends, but I want you to look at this and, and you know, put something in the New Yorker about me based off this. And the, the writing was just really that good, I think. You're talking about the documentary, right? Yeah, yeah. It actually started out as emails. Where they noticed his yes. prose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would print out Bourdain's emails, his friend, and he showed his wife, like, hey, you got to read this. Yes, that's how the connection what? was made. Because it was yeah. just so entertaining, so vivid. I can see why he was inspired by Elmore Leonard, because he's another one where you can smell what he's describing on the page. I got to read one of those books. I got to read a book. Yeah, it's yeah. so... <laughs> Try it sometime. <laughs> I should. It's never too late. <laughs> yeah, and so... He's an executive chef. He didn't even tell his boss he was writing this book. Yeah. So he totally expected to be fired afterwards or have some repercussions, and none of that happened. And his boss loved it, actually. Yeah, Philippe, he loved the notoriety. Philippe Lajeunet. 
Philippe Nalule. <laughs> Owner of Leol. Leol. They remained Unpretentious friendly. Unpretentious Leol. <laughs> they, they remained friendly for the rest of Bourdain's life. Thank you for coming to our unpretentious restaurant. <laughs> Corleone. Table for three. Table for three. Oh, oh. Ah, oh. And I bet there was a <laughs> dude from Wisconsin that was like, hey, where do we find Les Halles? Les yeah. Halles. <laughs> and they just stab him right in the chest and throw him in the back. <laughs> you are not referring to Leon by chance. <laughs> you are for dinner, Mr. Wisconsin guy. <laughs> They're chewing bubble yum. Yeah, yeah we're talking about Les Halles. <laughs> Yeah. We hear they got some good hamburgers. Yeah. They got the big cheese head thing on. <laughs> the Wisconsin. You sick fuck. <laughs> They're called hamburgers. <laughs> you animals. <laughs> so the book, Kitchen Confidential, instant hit, considered an industry disrupting sensation. It was this bold memoir that was at once a love letter to the restaurant industry, as well as a scathing critique. Bourdain seamlessly mixes his personal story with industry lore, trade secrets, and juicy gossip. Ooh. Ooh. Would you like to hear a little more of Steaks it? Steaks aren't the only thing that it yeah. juicy around do you here. Have some, do you have an excerpt? Yes. How much longer am I going to do this? I don't know. I love it, you see. I love heating duck confit, saucy de canard, confit gizzard. <laughs> Unpretentious. Oh, and duck fat with those wonderful tarbay beans, spooning it into an earthenware crock and sprinkling it with breadcrumbs. I enjoy spooning the look on the face of crock. my boss when I do a pot au feu special. The look of sheer delight as he takes the massive bowl of braised hooves, shoulders, and tails. Hooves? The simple boiled turnips, potatoes, and carrots looking just right, just the way it should be. I love that should look. Should be the trash. Because I love the look on Pino's face when he gazed upon a perfect ketchup? bowl of spaghetti alla catara. The same look I get when I approach a Scott Bryan dobe of beef, a plate of perfect oysters. Oh, He's naming beef? Of yeah. For a moment or a second, the beef is expressions of the cynical, world-weary, throat-cutting, miserable bastards we've all had to become disappears when we're confronted with something as simple as a plate of food. Excuse me, you got some duck fat leaking out of your crock? <laughs> <laughs> the look on the face when you make a perfect saison, c'est quoi sweet. The look on Pino's face. Yeah. Nobody knows what the hell he's talking about. They don't even know what they ordered there. Can I have the mozzarella sticks? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, when I was an impressionable kid, what he had with the oysters, I believe I had with the Frisco burger at Hardee's. I had with chicken nuggets at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had with the cheese breadsticks at uh, Papa Gino's. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and some tidbits from this wild book. Kitchen Confidential that just shocked everyone. Never order fish on Monday. Most seafood on Monday is about four to five days old. Brunch menus are a dumping ground for leftovers and scraps from busier nights, all in an effort to cut corners and costs. I worked at a lot of restaurants and I believe all this shit. It's all gross. Like everything that they do <laughs> are cutting corners. Like I worked with a, at a 
pizza shop where a guy would make salads and like the salad was brown and he was also a drunk uh, uh addicted to gambling uh alcoholic so like <laughs> he and he turned out later he was smoking crack so <laughs> oh good sounds like Anthony so it's not, i'm not saying it's every place but a lot of places uh they cut corners and the food has been hanging out for a while and you find that from chef gordon ramsay when you watch uh, kitchen nightmares garçon there's some fish eyes in my corned beef hash <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> come to puppuccino's where the salads are brown but the money He's green. Come on. Get in here. Don't eat in a restaurant with filthy bathrooms. If management can't keep the toilet clean, then just picture what their kitchen looks and smells like. That's true. Chefs view chicken as boring, a menu item for people who don't know what they want to eat. Your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Your body's a dumpster. <laughs> if you're going to fill brunch. it up, <laughs> yeah. at brunch it is. Says the former heroin addict. Yeah. <laughs> Rules for success in the restaurant industry: Don't lie. Be on time. Be proactive, and have a sense of humor. Okay. A quote from the book: Vegetarians and their Hezbollah-like splinter faction, the vegans, are a persistent irritant to any chef worth a damn. Vegans are just uh, anorexia. Like they just they just don't want to eat anything, and they just want to excuse why they're not eating. Yeah. yeah. Another quote: My naked contempt for vegetarians, sauce on ciders, the lactose intolerant, and the cooking of the Ewok like Emeril Lagasse is not going to get me my own show on the Food Network. Well, Bam! Damn, he <laughs> he fucking threw some stones at people. Cut to. He had a show on the Food Network yeah. <laughs> shortly after. Really? Yeah. But Emerald Lagasse wasn't the owner of that network. He just had a big no. show on there. Oh, that was the worst. In some ways, Anthony Bourdain was like the antidote to those he showy, was like the punk cheerful rock. Yeah. celebrity chefs that would like juggle their spaghetti. Yeah, on like the Tonight Show <laughs> and stuff. Johnny Crosby would be like, whoa, that's wild stuff. <laughs> that's some wacky <laughs> pasta you got. <laughs> whoa. You said it, Johnny. I've been eating years. Yeah, he, <laughs> Anthony Bourdain became a star very fast on the book tour circuit, setting the stage for his TV career. It was literally overnight fame at age 44. You gotta love that. And never too late. His first stop was the Food Network, where he briefly hosted a show called A Cook's Tour, which was based on his follow up book to Kitchen Confidential. He eventually left the network when they refused to fund his proposed trip to Catalonia because the network wanted him to stay home. They preferred domestic locales. Where, where's he, Catalonia? Is that Spain? Yes, okay. in Spain, where Eladia is. Eladia, yeah, the <laughs> birthplace of Eladia. Not to be confused with Catalina, which is where Robert Wagner murdered Natalie Wood. That's true. Sounds Accidentally <laughs> murdered. Allegedly. Accidentally on purpose, maybe. Wow. Bourdain <laughs> had utter disdain for the Food Network after that. When he's rising, what's popular then is... Beat Bobby Flay, $40 a day with Rachel Ray. I went to go see Beat Bobby Flay. You did? Yes, and I would get paid like 40 or $30 just to go see two episodes. Really? Rich. Did you did you beat him? Did you brag no. to your friends at the time? <laughs> no, but if you go back, you can see me in the crowd because there was only probably like 30 of us there. <laughs> well, I'm going to go back right now. Yeah. You're like the Where's Waldo of like weird pop culture shit. Yep. You're like... You're, or like Forrest Gump, you're the guy in the background. Yeah, the of the Steve Wilco show <laughs> and beat Bobby Flay. <laughs> I'm sure you had a good time, too. 
Uh, yeah, it was good. Okay, yeah. you don't sound like you had that good a time. Yeah, it was all right. Okay. The food smelled good. We couldn't have any, though. Well, yeah. that's bullshit. I know. But yeah, I could see why Anthony Bourdain wouldn't really fit into this mold of what they're trying to do. He wants to go off, and re- he really just wants to do his own thing. Yeah. And travel around to all these places, but they just don't have the budget, or that's not really what they wanted to run with. And he wanted to do his own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't going to be Paula Dean. Yeah. He's he's not Guy Fieri. But it, he's also beggars can't be choosers type, type thing. But at this time, he had a little heat that he could actually feel a little more comfortable. So much heat. Yeah. He was a rock star after yeah. this book. After the book, that's when everything changed. And yeah. He, and so this is that He period. had a little more power. He was everywhere. He was on Oprah. He was on CNN. He was all over the place. In 2005, he joined the Travel Channel. And hosted No Reservations. This is where I mixed up that title. Okay. Not the Catherine Zeta-Jones movie. Whose rom-com. clam is apparently poison. <laughs> trying to kill Michael Douglas. Deadly. Throat cancer. <laughs> the deadly oyster. From HPV. <laughs> <laughs> and he stayed with the Travel Channel until 2012. The year of the Mayan calendar apocalypse. Oh, yeah. The Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, John Cusack. John Cusack. John Cusack, really, yeah. It was a typical food and travel show with Bourdain's signature touch of flippant humor and a carousing atmosphere. They were smoking and drinking their way through the world. Yeah. Drink a beer with the president. Later on. That was his show on CNN called Parts Unknown. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now he's on the Travel Channel. And he said, quote, I travel around the world, eat a lot of shit, and basically do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, that's just very him to like swear like that, uh-huh. like, like he's a badass. He's a, he had the you know the uh, earring and stuff, and he was just a, he was a badass. Yeah, punk rocker. Yeah, of chefs. He did find the show creatively satisfying because he realized the possibilities of filmmaking. For instance, one episode in Rome was shot in black and white Italian cinema verite style. Yeah, like a spaghetti <laughs> western or something. Not even like a, like, like a the Sergio bicycle Leone? thief. Oh yeah, yeah, bicycle yeah. thief. Yeah, <laughs> low digits. <laughs> oh, does he steal bikes? Friend of the show, he used to out in Indio. Oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> he's a bike thief. Yeah. Well, if it's not in Italy, yeah, yeah. I think the, I think the cinematography and the overall look would be way worse. Yes. <laughs> it's a desert area of Riverside, California. <laughs> not in black and white. No, yeah, <laughs> in scary color. <laughs> <laughs> One episode found his crew in Beirut. During the Israel-Lebanon conflict in July 2006. Yeah, he had a lot of of hot takes on that. But very balanced. Emmy-nominated, which means a lot, you know. Sure. At that time. (laughs) this episode captured their encounters with Hezbollah supporters. Oh, the vegans? (laughs) And the crew's eventual escape with the help of a fixer who Bourdain dubbed Mr. Wolf after Harvey Keitel and Paul Winston Wolf, yeah. Yeah. We got a body in the trunk minus a head in the back seat. But yet, like you alluded to, he wasn't real thrilled that they were going to capitalize on this conflict to promote the episode. He didn't even want it to see the light of day. But it's CNN, right? No, this is Travel Channel. Okay, this is Travel Channel. But still, you know, he knows that's going to happen. He knows they want to fucking get as big as possible. He's aware he has to play the game. Yeah, that's playing the game. Yeah, He's calling their bluff. They're calling his bluff. 
but yeah, he like I said, he gave a very balanced both sides version of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he was Jewish or I think he was just French. He was Jewish. He was okay. Non practicing. It wasn't a religious household. Yeah, but yeah, Jewish. Okay. Which yep. he said, even if I don't believe, he did in mention anything, in the episode. I'm yeah. still Jewish. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Other media that Bourdain was featured in, he appeared multiple times as a judge on Bravo's Top Chef. He wrote the story for four episodes of Treme, the David Simon HBO show. But he wrote the like the entire four episodes. Oh, really? Yeah, the story. Wow. And other books he went on to write are Medium Raw and The Nasty Bits. His <laughs> is that one? That sounds like one book, but it sounds like a good book. Sounds like a punk rock band. Yeah, or a yeah, punk rock medium band. Medium raw yeah. on the nasty bits. Yeah. The nasty they bits for the Ramones and CBGBs. <laughs> They're the special guests that yeah, night. Yeah. The nasty bits. The nasty bits <laughs> together again. <laughs> one of those guys are at the bar, like, yeah, I'm one of the nasty bits. <laughs> I'm trying to the, pick up some chicks. Want to smell me? I'm one of the nasty bits, mate. <laughs> Oi, we were the nasty bits, and we didn't care about not <laughs> smell me piss. <laughs> yeah, I'm You're a nasty. Bits. <laughs> I'm about to go take a shit. Can I go home now? Yeah. I'm going to check, please. <laughs> Can you unlock your door? <laughs> yeah. Can I get out of here? Fox, as I mentioned earlier, <laughs> adapted his book, Kitchen Confidential, into a sitcom in 2005 with Bradley Cooper as Jack Bourdain. That is so weird. An That's executive so crazy. chef and recovering drug addict. It lasted 13 episodes. If if the show gets canceled and fails, why not make a movie out why of it not? in 10 years? Yeah. But this is before Bradley Cooper actually became famous. That's way so before. weird. Yeah, way before. This is crazy because that I used to watch Fox then, so I'm sure I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um I used to watch Fox then. Well, I mean, Fox, like, it had, like, Titus. It had all these, like, good sitcoms and stuff around that time. Mm. Yeah. And The Simpsons, of course. Of course. Which that, he so. was on as well. Anthony Bourdain. But, oh, really? later on. As like, himself later on. You gotta on. really oh, okay. big, be a big celebrity to get that Simpsons yeah. treatment. Yeah. And he appeared on the kids' show Yo Gabba Gabba. Yo, Gabba Gabba. That was him? Uh-huh. <laughs> he also appeared as himself in the 2015, 2015 again, The Big Short, where he used seafood oh, stew yeah. as an analogy for collateralized debt I obligation. I love that movie. Whatever the hell that means. Yeah, I, I still don't understand <laughs> it, but I love that movie, and I love anything that kind of delves into the 2008 market crash. So right now I don't need to hear about it. Yeah, I think we're all burnt out on it. <laughs> yeah. if you know what I mean? Yeah. Hello. No pun intended with burnt. <laughs> yeah. <what> title. <laughs> Scorched. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he left Travel Channel in 2012, as I said, ingloriously, as he put it, because he was annoyed with the new ownership, and apparently they had edited an episode of his show to make it look like he was endorsing the brand Cadillac. So he wanted more control of his image and work. Yeah. So he left. So he he didn't own the show. Then. No. I think that's a big thing. When you own the show, you have more control over anything that happens because you're like the production company. You're the show. Mm-hmm. You kind of tell the channel, you know, what you're going to be putting on there yeah. based on your contract. And he it's all said, about the kiss me bits. Kiss me bits. <laughs> I don't give two shits. <laughs> See you later. Then he went to CNN in 2013 with the show Parts Unknown. 
Very rarely do people go to CNN and say, like, I'm going to really let my hair down here. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like a desperate move at the time, but it became a popular show. Well, CNN at that time, very interesting uh, in, in the scope of, like, all history. Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan was back there, but also they were, like, so desperate. They brought in Jeff Zucker. Mm -hmm. They were doing comedy. Uh, they were like really? doing the history of comedy mm, yeah. on, on CNN oh. because they were so down in the ratings and stuff. They were doing a lot of those VH1, like, I love the 90s. This is, yeah, this they was, were. Yeah, yeah. This was, yeah exactly. Which is always a desperate yeah. move. <laughs> and then, yeah, Carrot Top <laughs> hit the scene. <laughs> Things were crazy. Ben Savage comments on <laughs> yeah. the Go-Go's. Yeah. Michael Ian Black. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> keeping yeah. Michael Ian Black It was Black like best employed. week ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Paul Shears talking about <laughs> fucking Ben Vereen. <laughs> ben Vereen. But like, Remember that time he was run over by a cop? <laughs> Hilarious. Another episode. Yes, um, although he survived. But this was before Trump came in, and they were able to really make a lot of money on CNN. Mm -hmm. So before Trump, CNN was like in fucking shambles. Floundering. Now they're going back to that. And but... they're floundering again. Yeah. They had that failed app recently. Oh, that app, $300 million. one person wanted. $300 million. So it's, it was as bad as Quibi. They had they a shut up shop so fast you didn't even know it existed. Quibi was at least around for a year. Not even, no. No, Close. Like a couple months. weeks. Months. Months. Really? Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, CNN was like two or three weeks, wasn't it? It was like yeah. instant. Yeah, it was worse it than Quibi. Yeah. No, they say that it was done because the new leadership came in with Warner Media and stuff that wanted to like just, and, and they knew they wanted to end it right away. Mm, wow. But I don't, yeah, I don't know why. That's they, the classic move of the new ownership or the new executive. Yeah. You got to ask what the last executive was working yeah. on. <laughs> I guess so. But it, it was shit. funny because on that CNN Plus, it was going to have like that Jake, whatever his name is guy. Jake. He was, he was going to have a Tapper. cooking show. Jake oh. Tapper was going to have a cooking show. No, oh. he was it? Yes, he was. No. Because, oh my no, god! Because, be, because, he's like, I'm the new Anthony Bourdain, and like, <laughs> and like a book show. He's like, yeah, I don't give a f about this food I'm cooking. Oh, he's trying god. to be Anthony if Bourdain. If they wanted people to <laughs> subscribe, all they needed to do was bring back the Cuomo brothers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for their own show, the yeah. circus. Put him, put him in a jail cell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a live cam. Yeah, <laughs> while they do their weird family shtick. Yeah, <laughs> it's so hilarious. <laughs> what are they gonna say next? <laughs> That's what they were doing. They had a dog and pony show during the pandemic. You're a meatball. No, you're a meatball. Yeah, exactly. Hey, like, you. Like, okay, are we supposed to be laughing? Are I we know. supposed to be entertained? This camaraderie is hilarious. This brothership. <laughs> Good God. So, parts unknown. Another food and travel show. Uh, this time it aimed to cover places and cultures off the beaten path. It won the Peabody Award in its first season which took him from such places like Congo, which is the setting of one of his favorite books, Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. Oh, I think you say his favorite book was Congo about the, the movie Congo. <laughs> Amy, green drop, drink. <laughs> the making of Congo. <laughs> it's a thousand page yeah. memoir. Day one. <laughs> Day one. The gorillas uh, are angry. <laughs> Tim, Amy, want drink. <laughs> Tim Curry is thirsty. He would like a diet Sprite, but regular Sprite is okay if you don't have time. <laughs> he so, said when he was on Rocky Horror Picture Show, he never dealt with any shit like this before. <laughs> 
<laughs> his Bourdain's favorite movie, at least one of them, was Apocalypse Now. So that was another reason he was excited to go to the Congo. So, Heart of Darkness, the book based Apocalypse off of now. Apocalypse Now. He was constantly throwing movie references into his show. He was, yeah. He was a huge film buff. Yeah. I remember one he did um, Get Carter. I think that was mm. a big one he did when he went to uh, Northern England and stuff. So, yeah. He, yeah. So he always had fun with his shows. They're very entertaining. Yeah. They're, they're not the typical travel shows. No. After Congo, he would go to places like Myanmar and even the tight-knit community of Koreatown, Los Angeles. Oh. In 2016, as you guys mentioned, he famously sat down with President Barack Obama for a lunch at a Vietnamese noodle shop in Hanoi. Hmm. That's kind of crazy. Well, of course, Obama did it in the second term when he knew he was safe. The very end. Obama also sat down for an interview with YouTube personality Glozell Green who's known for having green lipstick and green fingernails. Yeah. So wow. the, bar, the bar was So, low. Yeah, yeah, this isn't that much of a get, And really. he was on Comedians in Cards getting coffee. And WTF. Oh, yeah. Pow! I got the president here! So by the time Bourdain's <laughs> got him in a noodle shop, it's like, yeah. big deal. Yeah, it was kind of a, a cheap date at that time. Yeah. <laughs> He's been around the block by that point. Of course. He was like one of those P-Town dudes, you know. (laughs) (laughs) One of those sluts. (laughs) Or cruising gay guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about his persona for a second, Anthony Bourdain. His whole career brought him to this, you know, this icon he's become. His look, ruggedly handsome, tall, leather jacket, cowboy boots, earring, cigarette in hand. It's a punk rock kind of thing. Daddy. <laughs> Someone named Brett Martin wrote a book called Difficult Men, where he compared Bourdain to other male auteurs of his era, like David Chase and David Simon. Oh, really? Who he wrote Treme for. Yeah. Quote, you can't read Kitchen Confidential without seeing how deeply a kind of damaged manhood was baked into restaurant culture. Kitchens are the most Freudian places in the world. With all three, Bourdain, Chase, and Simon, Their work is about men who are deeply fucked up by the neuroses of modern masculinity. I think Bourdain spent a lot of his later years recognizing and repenting for that. End quote. Oh, okay. Food for thought. No pun intended. Yeah. Well. (laughs) Sassissois for thought. (laughs) Clams for ass. (laughs) Oyster for, never mind. (laughs) Um, I don't have one of those. (laughs) Yeah, I, I can see that, definitely. I, I think Howard Stern is someone who definitely had uh, some looking back. Uh, oh, he's he got so many mommy oh and God. daddy issues. Yeah, totally. But like, yeah, I can see that with Anthony Bourdain. Um, I, maybe that's what led him down the kind of mental path that he it was It absolutely going yeah, did. Yeah. Bourdain referred to Kitchen Confidential as the meathead Bible for restaurant employees. Because as you heard, it's a very vivid literary style. But it's also crude at times. He'll say the word pussy. You know, he'll say the F word. He'll The F word. Another I like how I show. said pussy and then the F word. Yeah, instead yeah. Of <laughs> but you get what I'm saying? Like granny might not sit down and love Kitchen yeah, Confidential. This ain't your grandma's uh, cooking show. <laughs> this ain't Julia Child. This ain't your grandma's fucking pussy. <laughs> yeah, Julia Child. She was Ooh. never like, eating my first oyster. <laughs> was like, eating pussy for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> 
hey, Julia, uh, we're like what you're doing. I think we're going to cut the pussy part. I hope that's okay. Uh, but anyway, let's start back and up. And then Michael Ian Black is commenting on her in a VH1 special. <laughs> she had balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, next season on CNN's bullshit that Michael Ian Black talks about. <laughs> also, part of Anthony Bourdain's persona was being self-loathing. He fully understood that his own privileged background fueled his disdain for the bourgeoisie. For anything bourgeois like his parents loving him. Even though he's really leaning into it with a lot of the food that he's talking about here. I know. He's trying to bring like a street punk rock aesthetic to high-end food, which Mm -hmm. is like, oh, I do it like, you know, I'm a wild man, you know. In a lot of ways, he sees himself as that grizzled Frenchman who had the boat. Yeah, <laughs> these are just foods he loves. They happen to have French names. He doesn't yeah. view that as pretentious. Yeah. yeah, he's like my rich ass parents. They're like, "Oh, what are you cooking?" He's like, "Duck à l'enfant." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. his, I got the Frisco burger. Yeah. He, he cuts up his caviar with like a shard of glass. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he snorts caviar. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also often said he wasn't much of a cook. He had what's called imposter syndrome. He didn't understand why he had all this praise thrown at him. Of course he did, because he, he worked so hard at it. That's what's so bullshit. Maybe this is why my, my mom was referring to. And yeah. fame, <laughs> so full of shit. fame was a cause for discomfort. Oh, for come him. on. You're so full of shit, your eyes are brown. Why he, didn't you stay in that New Jersey town then? He <laughs> became a reluctant emissary. I'm trying A reluctant on him. <laughs> global ambassador. Bullshit. And a reluctant populist TV host. Is this going to be the first time that an actual subject of our podcast is going to become put on the shit list? Not yet. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm. I'm very. Not I'm, yet. I've written... Mark's mom's already put them on <laughs> in pencil. Yeah. <laughs> Hear me out. We're not done yet. Mark's about to go over it in pen. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, maybe if something happens later on the podcast, it'll fade away like Marty in uh, in Back to the Future. <laughs> in 2007, he added an extra chapter to Kitchen Confidential called Aftermath, where he said, "Quote: I once felt safe and at home in the kitchen." I knew the rules, or thought I knew the rules. It was a life of absolutes, and that comforted me in a way nothing since has. Spoken like a true 50s housewife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I belong in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Who am I going to be this week? <laughs> Early on in the Travel Channel days, he would do things like eat a beating cobra heart. Nice. For shock value. And then later he got more comfortable with his persona and then his he got more comfortable from his that? travel logs. Yeah, comfortable enough to kill himself. Oh, Jesus. Oh, his travel logs. <laughs> That's it. Good night, folks. <laughs> his travel logs evolved from humorous, boozy adventures to deeper explorations into food and culture. Like with Parts Unknown, it would explore political and social inequality. And he felt that you could understand those issues better. If he was eating a ton of food in front of him. Through an investigation (laughs) of what and how we eat in different cultures. Yeah, he's stuffing his face like, no, these people are poor as fuck. They can't even afford it. (laughs) That's funny you say that because in Parts Unknown, in one episode, they go to Haiti. And when they were done filming, they had all this extra food. I've heard documentarians talk about this. Yeah. There's supposed to be a fly on the wall. So if someone needs a dollar, 
you're not supposed to give them the dollar. Yeah, so you're supposed to film them. Anthony Ford, yeah, like Sam Kinison said. <laughs> and so they gave, they announced, oh, we have extra food here. It caused a riot. Yeah, I remember seeing that in the wow. documentary in Parts Unknown and like, yeah, so many people started coming out and telling other people about it and everything, and oh, more shit. people kept coming and coming, mm-hmm. and it just started piling up a lot of people. You know, yeah. it just shows you the utter poverty there, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Oof. And know? he became political without meaning to with stuff like that. Yeah. The power of just even showing someone's culture. If any, anyone it. sees like a CNN or, you know, whatever, Time Warner truck roll in, you know, they, <laughs> they, they know they're going to start asking... For money and stuff, if it's a poorer area. Yeah. yeah. On Fresh Air in 2016, the Terry Gross NPR show. Oh, geez, Louise. <laughs> of the people here, yeah. The same <laughs> network that caused <laughs> Charles Rocket's death. Yep. Anthony Bourdain gave an interview where he said, quote, It just seems to me the more you are able to show people's everyday lives, often as they revolve around food and daily tasks, when something happens in the news, you have a better idea of who we're talking about here, end quote. So Anthony Bourdain liked getting in there, exploring these cultures, showing them, and he would prefer the street vendors who, you know, maybe they make one or two really good things. He preferred that to a fancy chef where it takes 10 minutes for them to describe the meal you're about to order. Yeah. But it's also something that he does, too. I know he doesn't. Like, if he went... If he really wanted to get a good experience at a restaurant, you know he he would want to know exactly what the specials were, how they're going to be cooked, how fresh everything was. Like, you know, Gordon Ramsay, he would ask, what do you wake best? How the lamb was talked to when it was still living. Like, he'd be at, like, you know, it would be that absurd. But then he's like, oh, I really like these street vendors that, you know, that scrape meat off the bottom of the truck and, and, and put in a bun for me. The tides are turning on Mr. Bourdain. Here. I know. Really fast. <laughs> oh, you'll have empathy maybe in a, in a little bit. Okay. Although actually he kind of becomes more of an asshole. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, you decide. Sure. Fans, diehards. Yeah. Yep. And a big thing for Bourdain was he understood the role of immigrant labor in fine dining. He held esteem for the overlooked backbone of the American restaurant culture. Quote, no one understands the American dream of hard work leading to material rewards more than a non-American. The Mexican, Dominican, and Salvadorian cooks I've worked with over the years make most CIA educated, which means Culinary Institute of America. Yeah, different CIA. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Slightly different. Very different. <laughs> which makes or is most it? CIA educated <laughs> white boys look like clumsy, sniveling little punks. Yeah. Well, cooking school, what can you really learn there? Maybe part of that I kind of understand because there are cooking schools but do you learn a lot from those schools? You're certainly not learning a lot about the uh, backbone and the throat yeah. uh, <laughs> of the American dining system. That's what he thought about that. No, but he, he talks like someone like he's running for office or something. Like, Yeah. Maybe he had designs to do that. Maybe. We'll never know. We'll never know. Now let's get to a little bit into his family life. He had been with his wife, Nancy Putkowski, Putkowski, Putkowski. for nearly 30 years. And their marriage and romance was born out of youth and rebellion. Did, what they meet stealing hubcaps or something? They met in <laughs> stealing the, chromies. They got <laughs> yeah. married in the 80s. Okay. When, you know, he was 
He was in the middle of shooting heroin off of the middle carpet. Of rehabs, yeah, going crazy. Then he met this woman named Otavia Busia. Okay. Through a close friend and fellow chef Eric Repair. What? These names are outrageous. Otavia worked for Eric Repair. And (laughs) so Bourdain and her started out having this fling, and then it turned serious very quickly. They got married in 2007. That was the same year that their daughter, Ariane, was born. Mm. And Ariane is his only daughter. First daughter at 50. Yeah. Wow. So the first wife, he just like, you know, it's not working out. They got married young. Yeah. And at once they were, you know, two pirates <laughs> yeah. fighting the world. And that wears off in your 50s, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, Bourdain loved being a father. And he claimed he enjoyed every second he could spend with his daughter while he was at home, which really wasn't that often. Yeah. He flirted with domesticity. But this is all an excerpt from a show. But like, what was the reality? He was never home. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. This is how he's <laughs> describing it. Yeah. Because he felt normal. This is like the Superman costume he's putting on. Yeah. Or no, this is Clark Kent, I mean. But he does that for a while and he's like, I'm getting kind of bored. I want to do yeah. something else. Yeah. He's got to take the costume off and go yeah. be himself again. So after about a week, this euphoria would fade and he'd want to go out and get back on the road. One of his musician friends, Josh Holm, called it the bittersweet curse. Nothing feels better than going home. Nothing feels better than leaving home. And that's what Anthony fought with. Yeah. And the romance with Atavia dissipated after a few years, and their divorce was finalized in 2016. Josh Holm, by the way, lead singer of Queens of the Stone Age, uh, touring guitarist with Screaming Trees. He's very famous. Oh, wait. Oh, that was his friend? I met that guy a couple years ago down in the valley uh, at Dave Grohl's uh, barbecue. Oh, shit. Oh, the famous barbecue. The famous barbecue, yeah. You were asked to leave. Yeah, when I (laughs) didn't get asked to leave, but I did not get asked to leave. And what did you say to... Nick uh, Lachey. Nick yeah. Lachey. Nick Lachey. Yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah. You said something to Nick Lachey. <laughs> I didn't say anything bad. I was like, "Hey, um, you know, you're from 98 Degrees," and he took it personally. <laughs> it's like I wasn't in 98 Degrees. Yeah, well, he he didn't get that defensive in saying that he wasn't in the group. No, didn't he say like, "Oh, you hear that? Oh, yeah, yeah." That's that's all the girls screaming for 98 Degrees or something. No, he stupid. goes. He goes. Do you hear that noise? I was like, "No, I don't hear anything." Besides the music at this bar. And he's like, oh, no, no, that's all the teenage girls screaming my name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, whoa, okay. And it just got very weird from there. But that guy, Josh uh, Holm, is very nice. He's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he yeah, he was very good friends with Bourdain. And they had kids, you know, around the same time. So yep. he was looking forward to getting no older shit. with okay. Bourdain and the kids playing together. They had plans. Really? Yeah. Oh. Didn't go so well, though. No. He's from Joshua Tree, California. Yeah, he's from uh, yes. Inland here, which is yeah. weird. Very. Where was Anthony Bourdain like um, rearing his children? Like, where were they living? New York. They were. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So that brings us to 2016. Bomb, bomb. But first, a word from our sponsor. You know I'm waiting, just anticipating. Bounty, chocolat noir. Un goût nouveau. Bounty, chocolat noir. 
un nouveau goût de paradis. Well, folks, this episode of Death and Entertainment ended up being so meaty that we can't even consume it in one helping. So we'll be back next week with the rest of the course. I've never regretted the unexpected left turn that dropped me in the restaurant business. And I've long believed that good food, good eating is all about risk. Whether we're talking about unpasteurized Stilton, raw oysters, or working for organized crime associates, food, for me, has always been an adventure. Tune in next week on Death and Entertainment.